gospel reading comes this morning from Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. Hear the gospel. When he noticed how the guest chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet... Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. May the Lord bless the reading of this living word, and may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was at Broadway Baptist in Fort Worth, I spent many Thursday nights eating dinner with the people on Jesus's guest list at something we called the agape meal. They were literally often the poor, the crippled, lame, and the blind. Neighbors who struggle with poverty and homelessness and untreated mental illness. Neighbors who smelled of booze and cigarettes and body odor. Neighbors who were pleasant and friendly and neighbors who scowled or talked to themselves in strange voices. Most of them would have never been able to repay us for the food that we gave them, much less have had a place where they could host us. I often volunteered to be the table host, the person whose only job it was to get to know our neighbors over dinner And at this meal, the people who I avoided eye contact with on the street every other day of the week were my honored guests at the table. It was terrifying every time I did it. I could feel the weight of my prejudices in my gut. And in my head, I often wondered, what could we possibly have in common? What exactly are we supposed to talk about in the 30 minutes from when they sit down to when we start the worship service? After we passed out the name tags and I asked, where are you from and where do you stay? There was only so much we could talk about the weather and the Cowboys or the Rangers or the Astros. I felt pressure to keep this conversation going. But there was one particular night as I was anxiously waiting and preparing myself, that I felt like I heard the voice of Jesus saying to me, don't try so hard. Just enjoy the meal. 
And before long, well, at least not long in hindsight, in those, those painful, quiet moments, it felt like an eternity, John and Tony had a joyful reunion. Apparently, there were two old friends that hadn't seen each other in a long time that were catching up at my table. And after that, Jim and Mary began to share concerns over a mutual friend that they had in the hospital, and they were talking about plans to try to get the bus and go to see her. And all of a sudden, I was awakened from my reverie by the voice of a woman I'll call Barbara, who began to ask me how I was doing and how my family was doing. And as she listened patiently, all of a sudden, it was time to start the worship service. And she said, well, I'll pray for you. God used this moment that felt completely backwards. I mean, I was supposed to be the host, wasn't I? So that I might be blessed. God used these people who seemed to be so needy. I was there to help them, wasn't I? To fill my deepest needs. God taught me something that night. When you stop trying to sit in the place of honor, when you let yourself sit in the lowest place, you'll be lifted up by God. By the world standards, hosting these people struggling with housing and hunger was no place of honor, but a humbling, if not humiliating, place of service. But in my grasping to be in control, to be in charge, I had managed to twist service into self-service. Those who host can often fall into that trap, can't they? I was trying to exalt myself, subconsciously saying, look at me and what I'm doing for these people. But when I stopped taking up all the space at the table, when I stopped taking up all the oxygen in the room, my spirit was exalted. God had used these people who could not repay us for the food to give me something priceless. The ability to see with new eyes the amazing grace of God. I may have had that apron on that said table host, and Barbara might have shown me hospitality, but what I could see clearly that night is that we were all actually guests at God's table. Our church may have paid for the air conditioning and vacuumed the floor and set the table and bought the groceries and prepared dinner. I might have had more health and status and money and resources than anyone else at that table. But in that moment, I could see that at God's table, we are not defined by our status, even our status as givers and receivers. At God's table, we are all equally receivers of God's grace and mercy and delight. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get us to understand with these hard table manners that we just read a few moments ago. In Jesus' time and place, there was a rigid social hierarchy enforced by a shared code of shame and honor. If you or I sat in the wrong place at a wedding and were asked to move, it might be embarrassing, it might be funny, it might be a slight inconvenience, but usually nothing anyone would really get that all that upset about. But in Jesus' time, it was a grave insult to the honor of the person asked to move. Much better to sit in a less prominent place and everyone see you be moved up. And so in one way, when we read verses 7 to 11, it might seem like Jesus is telling his hearers how to play the social game well. 
But on a closer reading, he's doing much more than that. Jesus doesn't say sit in the second chair or the third chair. No, he says sit in the last place. And if you'll remember just one chapter before this, Jesus said, indeed, some who will be first, some are who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. And there's something else too. When Jesus says in verse 10, you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you, he doesn't use the typical word for honor that men would have used to honor other men. He uses the Greek word doxa, where we get the word doxology, a word that means glory and pretty much always means the glory of God. Jesus is saying that when you take the last place, you will be lifted into the glory of God. Not in the sight of the women and men at your dinner parties, but by the host of the heavenly banquet, by the Jesus who is bringing the kingdom of God into our midst even now. So this is a difficult lesson. But the second set of table manners Jesus gives is even more extreme. I'll read it again starting in verse 12. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." Now, if this is shocking to you, then you heard it right. I think Jesus is trying to shock us. Jesus is using a bit of hyperbole here to shock us into thinking about who we host at our tables, who we spend time with, and why. What are our motivations? I say it's hyperbole, an exaggeration not to be taken exactly literally because Jesus himself often dined with his friends and family members and relatives and even with rich neighbors. So I don't think Jesus is trying to narrow our guest list. He's trying to expand them. The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind were the people found on a list in Leviticus of those who were not worthy to serve as priests in Israel. Their life circumstances and their illnesses and deformities were believed to be evidence of not just bad luck, but bad choices of sinfulness, even of rejection by God. But Jesus debunked this myth as often as he could. And just as often pointed out that we are all sinners, none of us more or less worthy than anyone else. And he embodied this, welcoming the most despised, rejected, and neglected people at his table. So what does this mean for us? I think we have to ask if we were making a list of unworthy people this morning, who would be on it? Who are the people we, don't th we wouldn't think deserve to share the table with us? The people we wouldn't think deserve our time or attention? Who are the people whom we don't believe have anything to offer to us? Who couldn't repay us for our hospitality?
Might Jesus be inviting us to expand our guest list so that it looks more like His? So what might this look like practically? Well, it might be to do quite literally what Jesus says. To sit down at a table with those the world calls the least of these. With those who can't repay you with anything material. Not as the host there to fix or to save or to entertain these needy people. Only Jesus can do that. But to be reminded in a powerful way that we are all poor. and That we are all hungry and needy before God. That we are all guests at God's table together. And that's why those meals that we share on Thursday nights with our mission partners at Grace and Maine are so important. Currently, we're helping to prepare to-go meals, and hopefully we'll be eating with our neighbors again soon. But like at the agape meal at Grace and Maine, we tear off the same piece of, pieces of bread from the same loaf and take communion together. And we sit down and enjoy a family-style meal together. I know for many of us, this is so intimidating and scary and deeply uncomfortable. But for me, it's been these humbling and sometimes humiliating experiences with my neighbors who seem to have so little that have most shown me my own need for grace and mercy. And that have most lifted me to see the glory of God's love which often shows up in the most distressing disguise of my neighbor's poverty of possessions and in my own poverty of spirit. So when these meals resume, I challenge you to sign up. I would love to do that with you. But the challenge of Jesus' word should not just be understood as an invitation to an occasional volunteer opportunity. Instead, I think Jesus is inviting us into a way of being that begins closer to home, that begins at our own dinner tables. So think about it. When you sit down at the table with your spouse or with your children or with your coworkers or your friends, do you have to have the seat of honor? Do you have to control the conversation? Do you find yourself taking up all the space or the oxygen in the room? How might you humble yourself at those tables, in those moments, and let other people be exalted? In moving from Jesus' first set of instructions to the second, think about who you host and why. Do you host people because they can repay you or because they elevate your status? Is it because of what they can offer you or give you? How might you expand your circle to someone who really needs what you have to offer? How might you expand your circle to receive the unexpected gifts of someone you think shouldn't have a seat at the table? These questions aren't just for mealtime. The table talk is just a symbol for the way we live our whole lives. Last week, we reflected on the story of Jesus healing a woman right in the middle of the worship service and how angry that made the leader of the synagogue. And I asked this question, well, what is church really about? Pastor Jennifer told me that I was preaching a series without even knowing it because she said, you can ask that same question about today's scripture. So with Pastor Jennifer, I ask, what is church 
really about? Is it about getting the best seat in the house? Now, I know some of you have your seats, and I know they're not assigned, but they're your seats, and that's fine. But have you ever been in a church where someone has sat in someone else's seat and they've said, "Um, excuse me, that's my spot. I know that none of y'all would do that. Well, in all seriousness, we have to ask this question. Is church about us and about getting our needs met? I think we all have to be careful to make sure that we're, we're not coming to church to exalt ourselves, that we're not coming to church just because of what we can receive here. It can happen in pretty innocent ways. We can look out on the fellowship hall with our tray of food and choose to sit with a table full of friends, even when we see a person or a couple sitting all by themselves. And maybe that's a person or a couple that's always sitting all by themselves. Or we can rush to go see that friend that we spied across the sanctuary and walk right by a visitor or walk right by someone who came to church alone who could use a hello and a welcome. Or we can be so eager to share our thoughts that we talk a little too much in Sunday school or in a committee meeting, not giving others the chance to share. There are lots of these little things that aren't so little, aren't there? None of them are mean-spirited. Our motives are pretty pure, but we can still exalt ourselves over others if we're not careful. And our need to be important at church can be pretty toxic too. There are some people that are used to be treated, being treated as a VIP everywhere else in life, and so they come to church and expect to be treated as important here too. And there are others of us who don't feel very important anywhere else. And this is the place to have power and status and importance. And that can get pretty ugly. But none of us have to act that way. The good news is that whatever your status is among women and men in this world, that God exalts all of us by His love and His grace. The good news is that we are all worthy in God's eyes. None of us any more or any less. So we don't have to seek our status and security like we do everywhere else. Church should be the place where we can let all that other stuff go and trust that we are enough without having to grasp for honor or rely on reciprocity. I know that's hard to believe. Because all of the rest of your life, you have been trained to constantly compete or convince your way into being honored by others. But if you can believe the upside down logic of Jesus, if you can trust that his love and his acceptance are enough, then you can stop striving. Then you can be free to just relax and enjoy the meal and enjoy the people around you then you can see that all of us are just guests at God's table, there to receive the grace we are all so hungry for. And when you stop trying to elevate yourself, then that's precisely when God can use you to elevate others. May it be so, right here.
and right now at this church family in this sacred space on the corner of Lockett and West Main. Amen.